0: Alright, but to speak to all of you guys, I need my voice, and you guys are very powerful. So if as these papers are getting passed out, you guys could just already listen in and tune in, because we want to get started tonight. We got some good stuff for you guys. Alright, so we're going to get started here. So tonight we're talking about family. We're talking about how family can be a beautiful thing. That it's a gift that's given to us from God, our families, but that it can also be a really difficult thing. It could be a really challenging thing. And I think we've all felt that in our families, whether we feel like our family's in a really good spot right now, or whether we have ups and downs, or we're in a difficult circumstance with our family right now in this moment, we know that it's a complicated thing. Um, So, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about my own family situation. I have one older sister. I don't talk about her a ton, but she's three years older than me, and she's kind of the, when you think of the, like, maybe you guys have this older older sibling, like, to me, it's the stereotypical older sibling of, like, she was very, like, she wanted to show that she was in charge, that, like, she had been the first one in our house, and so, like, she was the boss, and so she occasionally would do different things to remind me that she was the one kind of in control and that I had to submit to her authority as the younger sibling. So did we manage to get that picture up there? Um, I want to show you guys something here. Um, That's little Will, and um, that's my sister Louisa. So this is one of the things that she did. Um, I like to think this one was relatively innocent, okay? So she, uh, she... You know, made me wear this dress with a nice little apron, and I had a baby. I don't really know what the dynamic of the story was there. Um, But so we were gardening or something, maybe playing house. I don't know, but that was an example of one of the things that she did. So we can take that down, and you guys can forget that you ever saw it. Um, Great. (laughs) So the other thing that she did, and this one was, like, still kind of innocent probably, but uh, I'm a little bit more ashamed of this one. Uh, My sister and my older cousin, they kind of conspired together and they put all these like nickels and pennies and dimes and quarters in this little tree out in front of our house and they convinced me, like as a young child, I don't remember how old, so like give me some grace, Uh, but I was convinced that money literally grew on this tree. Um, And like, you know, you hear that expression, I was like, no, I've always been told money doesn't grow on trees and they're like, we found the one. Um, and it's in our front yard. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, and I believe them. I Guys, don't ask me how long because I don't actually remember. But it was longer than I care to admit that I believe that money really grew on that tree outside my house. So I tell you guys those stories because um, I wish that my relationship with my sister had kind of always had that element of, like, childhood innocence and playfulness. Because even though she was this, like, older sister that wanted to be the boss, I knew she cared about me. I knew she loved me. There's all kinds of photographic evidence showing that we really enjoyed each other's company and got along when we were young. But as we continued to grow up, that, like, dominant quality in my sister um, kept, like, growing. She was very independent, very assertive, very, like, opinionated. Maybe you guys know, have that sibling or you know someone that's like that. And that's, like, those are great qualities. I want to say I love my sister, and those are great things about her. But our personalities were just super different, like very, very different. So I was like the quiet one. My sister, as the first child, was the one who like went through all the things before I did. And so I think maybe there was a little bit of that like, okay, well, you didn't have to be the first one to do this kind of a vibe going on with us. And um, there would be occasional fights with my parents because she was just very opinionated and, and passionate. And again, I admire that about her. But I felt the need to like be the, the quiet one, that like, okay, mom, like yeah, okay, I'll be back by this time. And I was like very, very, like obedient to my parents. And I think she thought I was kind of like the, the goody two- shoes kid. And so like we didn't have a great relationship, and that's normal for brothers and sisters. Like if you have a brother or a sister or just a sibling, you know that fights happen. Like that's a thing. But it kind of kept building over time. And by the time that I went off to college, We'd already spent some time apart because Louisa went to Westmont. She was a couple years ahead of me, and so she was already at school. And then I went to Concordia and Irvine, and so that was like good time, like good space away from each other for us. But it was one of those things where I uh, developed a relationship with this mentor of mine at Concordia who was my spiritual mentor, and he was always telling me, like, have you talked to her about this? Like, have you actually gone and talked to her? Have you guys had a conversation about these things? And I hadn't like I'm an internal processor. And so I had just stored up all these things in my mind and this anger and bitterness that I had because I felt like she didn't understand me. I felt like she was very critical of me. And so I just let those thoughts build up in me over time and I hadn't done anything about it. So we're going to talk about a story in Scripture tonight. That's a little bit like uh, that sibling dynamic, two brothers in Jacob and Esau. And if you guys have a Bible or you want to grab one. It's going to be in Genesis 33, starting in verse 4. But before we get there, just to give you guys a little context for the story, like most sibling fights, like what went on with my sister and I, was relatively innocent, but the stuff that goes on between these two brothers is pretty serious, and they have, like, the older brother especially has real reasons to be upset with the younger sibling. So if you guys know this story, the, the twins, right, Jacob and Esau, the brothers, are the sons of Isaac, um, and both of their parents kind of have a favorite child. So there's like favoritism happening in this family. So there's some of that stuff going on. It's already kind of dysfunctional right before the story even starts. But there's one story where Esau is this hunter. He comes back into camp, and he's like really hungry, and Jacob has just cooked up this stew. And Esau's like, yo, let me get some of that. And Esau's like, okay, but yeah, first you have to you know, promise me that you're going to give me your birthright. And so for those of you who don't know what the birthright is, that's basically like the older son's share of the inheritance. It wasn't really like it is now where it'd be divided more evenly between siblings. Like the older son got more of the livestock, more of the wealth. And so Jacob essentially convinces his brother, because he must have been really hungry. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. But if you'd sell, like, all your, like, future wealth that you're going to get someday, you must have been starving. And so Esau's like, yeah, sure, whatever, just give me some soup. That's one thing that happens. So it kind of tricks him out of those material possessions that he'd inherit someday. Um, And this one is like the even more intense one. When Isaac's growing older, their dad, as he's about to um, get ready to, he's going to pass away soon probably. So he wants to bless his older son. Again, there was a lot of tradition of like praying for the older son, blessing the older son. And so he wants to pray for Esau. But Jacob and Jacob's mom, Rebecca, they kind of conspire together and say, No, I want you to have that blessing, because Rebecca's favorite son is Jacob. And so they trick Isaac into praying that blessing over Jacob and not Esau, because that's not what was supposed to happen. Um, the older son should have gotten that blessing. And so essentially, that spiritual blessing, that prayer, was this promise that all nations were going to be blessed through Jacob's offspring. Even though that should have originally been prayed over Esau, the line that is gonna eventually lead to Jesus is now gonna come through Jacob because he got that special blessing in prayer that was supposed to belong to Esau. And so I think Esau has lost almost everything. He's got every right to be mad at his brother. And so after this happens, they spend some time apart. And um Finally, there's this moment in chapter 33 we're about to read that they come, they're about to come back together, and Jacob is scared for his life. He thinks that Esau is going to come and just wipe out his, his family, like maybe just take all of the, the wealth and possessions they have and just leave him there. So he kind of is preparing for the worst. He's thinking that Esau is going to do something to harm them, um, and that's kind of where the story picks up. So um, now that you guys have all flipped there, I'm going to open my Bible. Um, and we're going to start reading in verse four, reading through verse 12, right? So hang with me on this one, guys. Um, so this is like, as Esau's approaching, this is like literally right where we pick up the story. This is what happens in verse four. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel. They, too, bowed down. So Jacob's got two wives. That's kind of a long story, but that's what's going on there. Um, So they're all kind of paying their respects to Esau. Um, And then Esau says, verse 8, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, Jacob said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. So let's get this straight in this passage. Esau had everything stolen from him by his brother, all his material possessions, that spiritual blessing that should have belonged to him. And what does he actually do in this moment? He doesn't choose to take revenge. He doesn't steal anything from him. He doesn't even want to accept the gift that Jacob wants to give him. So it says in verse 4 that he runs to meet Jacob and embraces him. So, like, if he's not going to physically harm him, maybe he could at least, like, steal all his stuff and kind of leave him destitute and poor. Um, But he doesn't do that either. Like, he doesn't even want to accept that gift. He only accepts it after Jacob is like, no, no, I, I really want you to. Please accept the gift. He doesn't even want to take anything from him, he doesn't feel like he's owed anything. Um, so he, in verse 9 he says, to keep his stuff, verse 12, that he even wants them to travel together. They've spent all this time apart. They, he wants them to be together as brothers and just catch up and talk. And that's not at all the, the response I thought he would have, the response that I think it makes sense for him to have. Because <coughs> rather than vengeance, Jacob's trying, excuse me, Esau is trying something different. His response is what Scripture calls reconciliation. It's an alternate response. And so we're going to talk about what reconciliation is. And that's going to be on your sheet there. It says that reconciliation is the effort to restore broken relationships. And so I was telling you guys about my sister and I and what was going on with us. And so after I got taught to by that mentor, I kind of finally took that to heart and realized, like, okay, we're going to we're going to be at like Thanksgiving and Christmas and all these things like together the rest of our lives. Like, I don't want to hold on to these feelings anymore like I'm gonna just come home and like give her a piece of my mind and it wasn't like a nice like gracious thing like I kind of came home on this holiday break and I unloaded all this stuff on her I was probably yelling I was like super mad because I'd held it in for so long like I was like it was all this rage and bitterness that had been in me and so like I just was like unloading all this stuff on my sister and it probably wasn't like the best way to have done that but I finally had that conversation with her And I was just, like, looking for the response. You know, like, I was waiting to see on her face that, like, she'd hurt me and, and, like, get some kind of satisfaction out of that, maybe. I don't know. Like, I was just mad. And I'll never forget the rest of my life. I'll never forget what she said to me. Um, She said, I never knew that you felt that way. Um, And for me, that was, like, it, it took all, I just, like, I remember my face going blank and thinking, like, Okay, so after all that, the only person that's been affected all this time by all my anger and bitterness is me. I've been holding on to that. I've been carrying this heavy weight with me. I haven't had this relationship with my sister because I wasn't willing to talk to her. I wasn't willing to reach out to her. I wasn't willing to have that hard conversation. Um, And so, like, we were finally kind of able to just talk some of that out, and it wasn't like, automatically better, but we started a road to having a better relationship, and now, like, I don't have this picture, but I was in her wedding, and I love, her husband is, like, an awesome guy, and we wouldn't have the relationship that we do have now, like, if one of us hadn't, like, and she just, like, didn't even have anything on the radar, you know, so, like, it had to have been me, like, and I think that was really God putting on my heart to do something about it and restore that relationship, and so I think we can learn a lot from the story of Jacob and Esau and, and Esau's response, his effort to seek reconciliation. So we're going to look at three steps we can take towards reconciling if we have like a broken or a difficult relationship in our own lives. And so the first one is forgive even when you are the one who is wronged. So one thing I want to make clear is that forgiveness is not the same thing as saying that how somebody has hurt you is okay. Um, it doesn't erase what's happened. That's not what forgiveness does. But it does relieve us of this anger and bitterness and whatever difficult emotions that you're holding on to when you hold a grudge against someone, when you haven't forgiven them, when you haven't sought reconciliation. It helps us move forward and stop fixating on the past. The second step is to be brave and take the first step. Aha, step puns. Okay, um... <laughs> So in the perfect world, right, I was waiting for my sister to kind of come to me and say, hey, I know I've hurt you. I know I wronged you. Like, let's talk this out. That never happened for us. Um, And if you guys really have that desire to restore the or to reconcile that broken relationship in your life, you might have to be the one that takes those initial steps towards forgiveness, towards reconciliation. Um, And that can be a powerful way to show somebody how Jesus loves them. Is by taking that first step um, but the third one is kind of an exception kind of a caveat um, it's pray and seek wisdom because it took me a long time to forgive my sister and even when I finally had that conversation with her I hadn't fully processed through those feelings and I I let out a lot of anger on her, like at her that I wished I wouldn't have I wish I would have maybe taken more time to pray about it to talk to a mentor in my life and if, if what's happened in your guys' relationship, whichever one it might be, in your family or a friend or, or something like that, if it's recent, if you're still feeling a lot of emotion um, and processing through those things, I would say seek out your counselor. Um, like, talk to them about it. Pray through it. Uh, because if you're still feeling, like, the weight of all those things that have happened super recently, it might be best to just take a step back, take a breather, and kind of process through your own emotion um, before you seek out that reconciliation. So... Through Jesus, we have a restored relationship with him, a restored relationship with God through what he did on the cross and in the resurrection. Um, We've been given this, 2 Corinthians says, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Like Jesus took that initial step to repair the relationship with us that was broken, and now he calls us, his people, his body, his church, to restore relationships with each other Um, and work on restoring our relationships to God because that's just what we're called to do as Christians. Um, We can show other people the power of Jesus' love for us by forgiving them when they've wronged us.